Uh, welcome to the Anime Research Group. With so much anime produced each season, many interesting shows just slip through the cracks and don't get the pure hearing they deserve. I'm Ian. I'm Denny. And I'm Freya. And each week we get together to give one show its chance, watching the first few episodes and then discussing what we thought of it. This week we take on Rosa Versailles. Rosa Versailles uh, ran for 40 episodes from October 10th, 1979 till September 3rd, 1980. It was made by TMS Entertainment and was based on the famous shoujo manga of the same name, written by Ryoko Ikeda. The manga uh, only lasted for about one year and ran for 10 volumes until a surprise revival in 2013 that lasted for five years. Um, but apparently that one was mostly comprised of short stories and other stories set in the same uh, universe. The actual manga was incredibly popular in most of the world. Uh, the Rose of Asai was the first commercially translated manga available in North America. However, that was only the first two volumes as they were released in the early 80s as a teaching tool for Japanese to English. But aside from those releases... The manga was never tr officially translated into English until uh, very recently. There have been several films based on the franchise, uh, two actually, and the third cancelled one, and multiple stage musicals, which makes sense for something set in France and Versailles. Very easy to see how you make a musical of that. One film was just a simple recap film. The other one was a, actually a live-action film called Lady Oscar, made by a French director, and it was a massive failure, apparently. It was never even released in France. <laughs> like the Rose of Versailles is probably considered to be one of the most influential manga of the shoujo genre uh, ever to be made, as it was served as the basic inspiration for many, many of the tropes that became popular and are still to this day associated with the shoujo manga, such as the the glittering, um, the rose, the rose backgrounds. Like, uh, yeah, so it ran in Margaret, uh, which is a shoujo magazine and mm -hmm. that's probably where actually i i probably heard about it was through other things in margaret like i mostly i'm thinking of princess jellyfish uh mm -hmm. but like other shoujo manga in there directly referencing it the basic plot of the of the story the basic gist of the story focuses on oscar francois de jager a woman uh, raised as a male soldier in a noble house who takes the role as the commander of the French Royal Guard and it focuses on her protecting Marie Antoinette from her arrival at the French court and spans for quite a while until the French Revolution where shit goes down. Shit does go down in the French Revolution. If I remember my history lesson correctly. It, it's a well-known fact that shit did indeed go down. Yeah, yeah. So it's mostly about court intrigue um sword duels and romance it was also one of the first popular shoujo manga with heavy yuri undertones due to the cross-dressing inherent to oscar anime oscar has many female fans who consider her as a romantic option as well something something yuri undertone yeah yeah heavy inspiration for utena it's almost like utena is the exact same show but better. It's it, it's almost like it's not the same show at all, but it's heavily inspired. <laughs> no, it's not the same show at all. Freya, you want to tell us a little bit about stuff? Yes. So I'll start off by talking about uh, 
very famous name, Osamu Dezaki. Very famous <sighs> name, which is why I don't recognize him. I recognize yes. it. Well, maybe it's better to say he's influential than famous. If we were in, if we were Japanese, we would all know his name. I think. Um, Wait, how do you, how do you not know who he is? I just don't. He's not the Osamu I recognize. Yeah, he did work with Tezuka, though. Yes, this is the director of the original Ashton no Joa anime. Oh. And uh, Blackjack, Cobra. Blackjack, Cobra, and his last work was the Clanad movie in two thousand seven. <laughs> Which I've heard is actually better than the show from some people. Uh, I haven't seen it, but like the show really, really sucks. So <laughs> anyway, he is very he, well. He's known for his distinct visual style, which is called the Dizaki style. Probably something else in Japanese, but I'm afraid I don't. He uses a lot of split-screen, uh, stark lighting. He really likes Dutch angles. And he's most famous for... Um, you've, you'll have seen a lot of these in anime over the years. Uh, sort of pastel freeze frames that he called postcard memories, where the uh, the screen fails... Uh, fails? Fades into a sort of... Um, a painting of the, the simpler original animation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw that several times during this during these three episodes we watched. Yes, which is funny, uh, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, he helped co-found Madhouse. Yes, and oh. he's been hugely influential um, in many famous anime directors, including Yoshiaki Kawajiri, Yoshiyuki Tomino, Yutaro Nakamura, hey, we talked about him again, Ikahara, Kunihiku Ikahara, Akiyuki Shimbo, yes, all of these people. Very influential. However, he didn't direct any of the episodes we watched today. No. <laughs> <laughs> he started uh, working on Rosa Versailles from episode 19 onwards. And that's probably the uh, period of the show that's most influential on anime, at least, uh, later on. However, these episodes were directed by um, one Tadao Nagahama whose only other famous work is uh, Kyojin no Hoshi or Star of the Giants, which is a baseball show ah, yeah. from the 80s. Afraid I don't actually know very much about him and there isn't much uh, material on him. Um, you did not talk about Ryoko Ikeda. Unfortunately, I don't know much about her either. Well, for one thing, she has the Legion of Honor. <laughs> Wow. Yes, she does. Okay. For her work on French-related things in nice. Japanese culture. I mean, she's done other weird stuff like this. Like, yes. uh, Rosa Versailles had a sequel. Oh, yes, it did. <laughs> that was one of the facts I was saving for the weird ending thing. Well, you can save the... You can save... More details. Well, you can either cut it or you can talk about the Ring Desnable. No, it's fine, it's fine. So do you want to tell the people what the sequel was about, Ian, or who it focused on? Well, uh, do you mean the Napoleon one or the... Uh... Yeah, the, the Napoleon one. <laughs> Calm down, really? Okay. Uh, yeah, Ikun and Napoleon. That's... okay. Oh, that's right, yes. Koji uh, Makaino did the music, which is... Uh, I think eclectic is the... Well, no, it's not that eclectic. It's a mix of um, sort of classical orchestra stuff, including at least one piece of actual classical music, and some very 70s synth. 
Yeah, Ian did point that out while we were watching it, which was a bit surprising and felt out of place. It felt like uh, I was listening to some some instrumental diva or or something or or doc, old seventies Doctor Who soundtracks. <laughs> I kind of like it to be honest. Well, like I said, like like it stuck out as being weird, but I didn't hate it. I just was like, oh, I didn't. Re- uh, pre-revolutionary France had since. It's cheesy as hell, but it it works for this uh, show. Don't need to talk about the character designer, do I? I feel like we can agree that uh, Akio Sugino, um, that the characters were all designed by Ryoko Ikeda, pretty much. Yes, but he is responsible for adapting them for animation, which is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also works with Dezaki. Worked with Dezaki a lot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on. In the first episode, we start off very Assassin's Creed two. With Oscar being born, and immediately her father comes in all dramatically, and because he's once again failed in succeeding to get a son out of the gacha lottery that is uh, pregnancy, um, he decides to just raise Oscar as a as a man and to have her succeed the house. Uh, the first episode mostly focuses on Oscar's initial reluctance to take up the position of commander of the Royal Guard. Well, she is very proud and accomplished at swordplay, as we see her twice in the episode beating other people uh, in in fights, including with the opponent the, she was meant to fight for the position. She instead chooses to fight him away from the dual grounds and away from the eyes of other people, as she does not want to win the position, she prefer she would like her freedom more than anything else. However, her father, of course, is very pushy and really wants to force her to take the position, going as far as physically hitting her and throwing her down the stairs during the first episode. Like in some sense, the like the rebellious nature is actually kind of weird, right? Because mm. like, because by like living her as like a man she would presumably have a lot of freedom already in french society at the time but again we're not taking this from a french perspective yeah. we're taking it from a i guess 1980s perspective her greater degree of freedom would really only work to any real manner if nobody knew she was a woman if she'd been raised in complete secret as a man then i could yes. then i could buy more into the greater degree of freedom because everybody knows she's a woman it was one of the things that I was really confused when they were doing this was the degree to which it was just like, oh yeah, everyone knows that Oscar is, a, in spite of like the the father at the start has been like, I will raise her as my son. Mm-hmm. The other character of note, the only other character of note, really, we meet in the first episode is Andre, who seems to be like her best friend, uh, potential love interest. And... Uh, uh, mm. More likely sidekick from what we've seen in the first three episodes. I'm pretty sure he's going to be the love interest eventually. It's the first romantic anime where I've seen the love interest engage in an actual fistfight with each other, punching each other in the face several times. That that can't possibly be true. I mean, can you name one? You saw Promare the other day. (laughs) That's a fair point. (laughs) But yeah, um, Oscar and... um, and Andre seemed to be very close, but uh, he's the son of a servant, uh, but they were raised together, and he addresses her more like a f- very close friend and often doesn't seem to act as is expected of his social position. 
even uh, Oscar's father knows how close they are as he comes to him and tries to get him to talk Oscar into taking up the position. Yeah, her father's a massive piece of shit. <laughs> uh, that's that, that's that's accurate. But we uh, we knew that going in because he's a noble. I mean, at least those of us who come in without the idealized version of nobility we're going to see in this show <laughs> came in expecting him oh, to be a piece of shit because he was a. I don't know. I mean, it is a show about the French Revolution, and presumably it's going to depict the French Revolution as the good guys. Duh. I don't know. That's the thing. Yeah. I don't think that's true. Are, are they really going to make the starving people of France the villains? Uh, yes. They'll they'll both sides. They've already made the only commoner a villain, but yes, that's true. The first episode ends a bit oddly, to my mind, with Oscar deciding to take up the position, even though. Andre prefers not to talk her into it, and he says she should have the choice of doing whatever she wants. So she decides to do the thing she didn't want to do. Yeah, it's just very much like a teenage rebellion. I only want to do it when you say I shouldn't do it, except you didn't say I shouldn't do it. But whatever. Screw you. I'm my own woman. I mean, it's uh, she's just succumbing to societal pressures, which makes sense for the first episode. Mm-hmm. We also learned that she's only 14. Feels a bit too young for this period in time, but whatever. If the anime had said she's 18, would any of us have doubted it? No. No. Yeah, no, that was basically all that happened in the first episode. The, the major like thing that's missing is, in order to become Captain of the Guard, she had to best Captain Girardel in front of the yes, king yes. to claim it. And of course, Captain Girardel is like, why do I have to fight a woman? Man, I am just... So we're not into this, and then he gets his ass kicked. Because of course he does. But credit to him, I guess. He's like, yeah, no, she she should be the captain. Yeah, kind of surprising that way. I'm I've been really interested in the way they've portrayed the king, uh, Louis the Fifteenth. <laughs> he seems like a a buffoon. I mean, I don't know if I'd say he's a buffoon. I'd just say he's like a I don't have to care anything about anything, so I don't. Yeah. He's very insulated from the, the consequences of his actions. He's just sort of being... So he's just being like, well, whatever I want today, right? I mean, he's the king. So Oscar is... Even though she's an archetype, and granted, she's probably the progenitor of this archetype. Yeah, uh, yeah probably. I quite like her so far. Yeah. At least in episode one and two. She doesn't really do much in three, but we'll talk about that later. I mean, there's a good reason for that because initially, um, Oscar wasn't meant to be the main character of the of the of yes. the manga. Marie Antoinette, Marie Antoinette, presumably. Marie Antoinette was supposed to be the main character, which is why we see way more in episode three. We barely see anything of Oscar. It's mostly all about Marie Antoinette. Yes. Eventually, due to Oscar's popularity, like she eclipsed Marie Antoinette. She became the main character, rather than... She's, uh, uh, she's relatively two-dimensional for being an archetype. Um, I mean, I think it's less about her, and it's more about having the supposed ideal of the noble... Yes. ...confronting with the realities of court. And she has great hair. I mean, it's... yeah, yeah. Unlike everyone else in this show. I mean, everybody else wears wigs, so it's not really a fair comparison. Everyone has great hair. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Episode 2 uh, is all about Marie Antoinette. It's a setup for bringing her in 
filling you in on the necessary the necessary history. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got to have an alliance between France and Austria, so we've got to marry off our daughter because that's how alliances work. Because otherwise, we go back to the state of pretty much constant war that had been occurring for centuries at this point between the between the nations. Yeah, and the setup for this is basically an exchange at the border. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, with some really strange ceremony. Yeah, they talked about that, but then it never happened. At least we didn't see it happen. Yeah, essentially she was supposed to cross the border naked, because she's supposed to become French and cast off everything that made her Austrian. I don't think it was that she had to be naked, it's just that she had to go wearing only French thing. Yes. Oh. That makes that makes much more sense, yeah. Yeah, so she had to take off like her, her nice gown and her mother's ring, all that jazz, and put on. Equally good French clothes, but it's French, so that's clearly undesirable. <laughs> and we get what I presume is like an going to be an important plot point later on, which is these insurrectionists, should we call them, who are plotting to kidnap her or replace her with another soldier who is dressed as her. Uh, well, it's uh, we learn it's Duke Orleans, who we learn in episode three is the uh, nephew of the king, and if. He manages to ruin uh, the marriage and ridic- ridicule both the king, Marie Antoinette, and the successor. That amplifies his chances of becoming the next king, so that's why he's working towards the, that goal. Random historical note. Ian, the Austrians probably would have been speaking French to each other in, in real life. Uh, maybe. I'm not actually sure. It's definitely a, It was definitely a thing back in the day for... Um, Nobody yeah. to speak certainly a different language from the rest of the country, but and I think French it was French because French was a bit of a lingua franca at this point. Mm-hmm. It's a huge digression, but yeah, I I, th- I think I think you're right because it stops being French for a while and then it becomes French again at the start of the 1900s. After after we get introduced to uh, Marie, who's playing around in a water fountain, like she's basically the model of innocence. Like, yeah. Uh, with a, with, a, with a touch of, of severe arrogance, but she was raised as a pampered princess, so that is to be expected. She's a noble. Yeah, she's a noble. Then later on, we like she's really not pleased about this whole marriage thing. She doesn't want to get married, which is why she tries to run away and eventually gets tricked by the guy who's supposed to replace her to switch clothes and decides to run off uh, into the woods somewhere. Which, I don't know what her plan was. Like, okay, we'll switch places. You, you'll you pretend to be the the future queen of France. I'll pretend to be a maid. Then I'll run off into the woods. And then... She's probably going to do what she did in real life later on, where she lived as a peasant for a bit. Because mm. she wanted to. Because she was a piece of shit. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the correct thing to say is there was no plan, because she's 14 years old. and wasn't really thinking it through. She just wanted to run away because she was getting married. And Oscar saves her from five identical twins with (laughs) her awesome sword skills. Because Oscar somehow manages to realize that um, initially the maid before they switch places isn't the maid but a man, and then then she manages to realize that when Marie Antoinette escapes as a dress now as the maid, that she's a different person and presumably the real Marie Antoinette, like that's a really impressive powers for observation coming from Oscar. 
And at the end of the episode, um, Oscar managed to get back in court just in time. And uh, the imposter is slain by the Duke so that his plot is not revealed to others. So yes, what do we make of Marie Antoinette so far? She's just... She's a petulant child. Yeah. She's... Eh. What did I expect? Like, I don't hate her as much as I normally hate people in anime, but... I don't hate her as much as her real-life counterpart, I guess. I can't really blame her currently. Yes. Yeah, right. Um... She's just a child. That's, that's all we can say. I mean, the villain so far is... Oh, I want to be a king. It's been a while since I've seen a villain that's literally just... I want to be a king, but I guess this was like 40 years ago by now. That used to be a much more common motivation in media. It was a very common motivation among <laughs> real-life novels. It was the motive in Johnny English. Remember that? It was the motive in The Lion King. <laughs> yes. Uh, and Hamlet. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, it, it still gets used, but we've reduced it as our love affair with nobility has correspondingly decreased. Now it's either fake capitalism or evil Russians. Like the amount of shows I've seen, which uh, recently, which have been about like people like pulling tricks to become president of the <laughs> United States, has gotten quite ridiculous. So I don't uh, like uh, like I, I, what, what's the what's the phrasing I'm looking for? You can uh, like sand off the the trademarks, but like the shape is still there. It's a a classic power struggle. It's not a bad device. Yeah. And in episode three, um, it's once again, it's a fairly simple plot setup. We meet a, another new character, another new historical character, Madame de Berry, the uh, king's mistress. But Denny, you forgot to mention the fact that it starts with the wedding and bad shit happens during the wedding because... Oh yes, yes, very bad shit does happen. Because she can't use a pen properly and that's a bad sign. A drop of ink spills on a marriage contract, and as the noble in the background states dramatically, such a thing has never been seen before in the history of France. So, that's a bad omen. Some bad juju. The rest of the episode just involves Madame de Brie coming into direct conflict with Marie Antoinette because she kind of looks scornfully at her during her first meeting. So, Antoinette, upon learning that she used to be a prostitute, and not knowing what a prostitute is... And worse than a prostitute, a commoner. Yeah, a commoner. Which she states that her mother would have whipped and thrown into the street. Which is almost certainly true. Yeah, probably. Uh, decides to essentially ignore uh, Madame de Brie completely. As due, due to the social rules, Madame de Brie can only talk to Marie if Marie talks to her first. As long as Antoinette ignores she cannot address her in any way, shape, or form, which essentially divides the court into two factions. I mean, I wouldn't even call it like two factions. It's you start off with the one faction, but as soon as you get it, everyone kind of realizes that, well, she's the future, so we better get in good with her. Like, Dubari can piss with piss us, like, she, she can mess with us just now, but like, mm -hmm. the king's gonna die eventually, and Dubari is gonna lose her power because. She's just the king's mistress. She has no way of getting real power. And even though several times during the episode it's mentioned that she has good control over the king, 
The king mostly seems to be just like, oh, what are you talking about? Marie wouldn't do that. She's just a child. I mean, she she has control over him. He just doesn't give a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this was very like a soap opera, right? Or like the Always Sunny episode waiting for tribute from each other. I mean, it's a noble court drama. She dramatically throws the cup against the mirror and it breaks. Oh, she's snubbing me. Oh, she's invited everyone to play, but she hasn't invited me. Oh, she's coming to talk to me. No, she was talking to the person behind me. How dare you? Like, she gives a lot of defi during defi, defis during this episode. I, I actually quite like the, these sorts of like, episodes where, like, nothing really happens, but yes. it's, it's all, like, uh, just psychological in, like, the loosest sense of the term. <laughs> yeah. Um... Because it's because it's just people being like, oh, does she, well, she snubbed me, so I'm going to snub her back. But uh. putting a window on the um, <laughs> ridiculousness of nobles. Oscar, on the other hand, is barely in the episode. Um, she's only really in it at the end. And... Spends most of it being like, look at these idiots. Yeah, these obsequious. Fools. Yes, I'll be a true filthy neutral and not take a sp- stand either way. I'm a stand-in for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> the only real plot development comes at the end when we learn that Dubarry has sent Oscar's mother an invitation to become her lady-in-waiting. Who we have not met yet. Yes, we've not met I think we've seen a portrait, though, during the first episode. Yes. But um, apparently it's not just an invitation, it's an actual order from the king, which would forcefully pull Oscar onto Deberry's side, which she does not want, but which Deberry, of course, wants very much because Oscar is incredibly popular at court with all the ladies. And, and this was all suggested by Duke Holian. Yes, who's decided to team up with uh, Deberry. Although I'm not sure why she has any, why she thinks she can trust him. Like, if he becomes king, wouldn't she still lose all of her power? I guess he's promised her some things, but I doubt she has. Yeah, I mean, he's never going to keep any of them. Spoilers, yeah. But yeah, um, this is basically the setup for like the first arc, and eventually the king's gonna die, and then everything everything's gonna go to shit. Denny, what are the major themes? <laughs> the major themes are nobles suck, politics suck, people suck. Societal pressure is a is a bitch. Those are the major themes of life. I wouldn't actually say that the major uh, that the the show has introduced any major themes currently in like the first three episodes besides i mean other than playing with gender roles a bit yes other than playing with gender roles a bit but even that they don't they do it surprisingly subtly because there's only really one character who seems to uh, want to reinforce oscar's supposed gender role which is the um andre's granny like she continually calls him out to address her as oscar sama and she wants her to dress as a girl. Uh, which, yeah, so I, I pointed this out uh, when we were watching it, is that the translation we have, it was explicitly uh, done as, you should address her as Lady Oscar. Whereas in the Japanese, there's no such gender connotation, which I don't, th- which is interesting, like from the, the, from the like, a translation point of view, the thing is, it's actually probably the accurate translation to me, since I don't well, I don't really know anything about French, but I believe French titles are also gendered. Almost certainly. Yeah. So, like, I I think it makes makes sense, but like, 
it's also interesting that it, that wouldn't have necessarily came across in the original text. Yes. But, like, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that there hasn't been a theme. Like, I think the, the main thing they're whipping at is the people rebelling against the roles that uh, society is going to place on them, which is, like, a pretty common thing you would put in, like, a, a thing aimed at, uh, yes. the sort of teenage girl audience that's doing it. Just be like... I guess that's uh, a fair point. Especially, uh, I mean, it was probably pretty, um, what's the right word? Subversive, subversive for Japan in the 1970s, especially aimed at a very female audience. Yes, prior to that, uh, shoujo manga were like prior to Ryoko Ikeda and the group she is known as Year 24 that she's loosely associated with, which is a group of female shoujo manga which generally brought about most of the well-known shoujo stereotypes. Uh, prior to that. Um, Shoujo manga were all written by men. They were fairly simple story targeted at much younger audiences, like preschoolers and elementary mm. school girls. And they were all simple stories about girls in nobility, finding their lost family, involving amnesia and stuff. There was no real social commentary or trying to get people thinking or even talking about topical. Like, it really rose in Versailles, amongst others, that started the trend in Chojo manga to actually talk about things that people might find relevant in their own lives. I also think, if I remember correctly, that it, it late, very later on in the manga, spoilers, it has the first depiction of a sexual act by a female. That is correct. Subversion! <laughs> Which became uh, very important uh, culturally, apparently. And this was uh, during the heyday of second wave fem- fem- blah, feminism. This certainly doesn't read as uh, subversive in 2019 as it did. Uh, no, back in day, but we have to try and judge it by the context of when it was made. Even, even with that, having the only commoner who's also the only ambitious female character be like purely antagonistic. Yeah. And basically, the I mean, I guess other than Duke Orlean, who hasn't done much yet, the, the main villain so far is like, uh... I mean, she's the only other, the only other commoner is just our, is our psychic Andrew, who is just like, yes, Oscar, whatever you think is best. He's not really a commoner, though, he's a like noble servant, which is it's it's different. I'm sure they'll get more into the class struggle stuff. When the revolution happens, I am very interested to see how they chose to depict that. Yeah, like the French Revolution is not—it's like the uh, the starting point of uh, revolutions as a, a concept in mm. Western society, at least. I'm sure they'll get into the class struggle stuff uh, later. However, I'm sure they're also going to both sides it because, yeah, screw you. Yeah, I am curious to see what Oscar is going to do as the revolution because yes, while, while she initially refuses the position of um, of the commander of the guard, she does seem very insistent that if she's going to do this job, she's going to do it right. So yes. how is she going to deal with Marie Antoinette's slow descent into major decadence versus the starving people of France? Introduce her to her, her good friend uh, Robespierre. <laughs> yes. Maybe. I mean, maybe that's what they're going to do. I don't know. I think the animation actually held up 
fairly decently for being that old. Yes. As we said, there were we did see a whole bunch of those animation transitions into painting, then we throw a filter on it and maybe a lower angle touch filter indicate a dramatic moment. But as we said, a lot of the watercolored, uh, like the water painted backgrounds looked very nice even today. Of course, the animation was fairly repetitive in the actual It was limited. It was limited, yes. Limited is probably a better word to describe it. Yeah, like we mostly see this with like any kind of crowd scene. I appreciated the grayed out uh, thing they would do uh, with like the sort of non-important characters being in a like different shade. So not to focus on it, but still a lot of the like everything's static and the camera sort of moves across them. The I guess the like Ikuhara and Shimbo thing of turning the background characters into stick figures or just not <laughs> including them at all sort of started with this. Yeah, that, that might be true. Like I, I think I think the thing that like frustrated me was just like how like inexpressive most of the characters' faces were. Maybe that's why they relied so heavily on on eye twinkles and like stars within the eyes to yes to, to indicate shock or right. It's com- like it comes across a bit more like I mean it would be it would be it would be wrong to say it's it's like a graphic anime, but uh, I'm not sure how else I kind of want to put it. Right? It's there, there's a lot of like staticness to it, which is interesting because like sometimes. And well, and we see a lot of uh, sort of the usual manga tricks about like uh, speed lines and although the movement was kind of jerky, the the ch- the way they did the backgrounds gave it like a, a dynamism that like made it seem like it was coming at a, like a much greater pace than it was. Yes. One thing that I noticed occasionally is that the uh, proportions of size often seemed to uh, were played around with, which I presume was intentional because people. When they were running either away from the screen or towards the screen, often seemed much larger than they should be. Like in that one scene in episode three, where Madame de Berry rises from the king, she she seemed to grow incredibly large, and I find that uh, quite an interesting thing to kind of represent her ambition. There are so there were a lot of um, cool stills, at least for composition. Yeah, mm-hmm. like that one or. Um... Or in the opening, uh, I think it's Oscar who's wrapped up in the thorns. At the start, yes. Yes. Who was it who got, like, stabbed and then they had the, you know, the Ikahara thing of cutting to a red screen with them in the foreground? Oh, it was one of the guards. Okay. Yeah, they were very, they were very big on these sort of, like... And often when they do the stills, they also change it to, like, a sort of a muted purple uh, color, mm-hmm. like, maybe, yeah. like, a grape color, where it's just like, oh, I've been poisoned, and then we have them, like, retched back, and then just, uh, like, the camera moving, like, slowly back from We also have the classic thing of when Oscar fights somebody and she defeats them, there are no sword wounds anywhere in their body, they just fall down and are defeated. Yes. The one thing I would sort of say is that I was actually surprised by like how mute the palette is, considering like for, I would expect something a bit more ostentatious for something for a, a show set at Versailles. Like the paintings and stuff in the background were all really good, but when you see like the like the the court dresses or something, like this one's just a plain orange, this one's blue and yellow, this one's a sort of a mint green, but they're all kind of sedate, whereas. 
I guess that's probably just because they were taken straight from the manga and just coloured and tried to make them a bit distinct from each other. Yeah. At least the the important characters, their dresses are a bit more distinctive. But like, it was like, come on, like go a bit stupid here, right? <laughs> uh, I think that's a product of the uh, time and the production environment. Yeah. I'm sure they, they would have gone more like ostentatious if they, uh, they could have. Which this is eventually going to get a remake. Like, a f- it's too popular in Japan not to. Like, like, our, fruit, our Fruits Basket got a remake. This is going to get like a 2021, 20, 22 remake. Maybe. Like, given how many adaptions it has had, the fact that it hasn't had a remake already speaks to like me thinking there's something. I mean, it hasn't had that many adaptions. It's really only had uh, one recap film, one live action film in the 80s, and a few musicals. Maybe just... Danny, I will not have you just, like, flat-out disregard Takara Zuka Review as a few music. They are amazing. (laughs) My bad. Maybe this is seen as a uh, sacred cow, I don't know. Actually, actually, no. Uh, One of the things I I found during my my research was that apparently... Even though people love the um, the manga in Japan, the anime wasn't a, was apparently not very popular. That's funny because it's like stylistic uh, choices have been very influential. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, like the it's well known that the anime was incredibly popular, like in Europe. This is kind of weird, anyway. Uh, one shout out: the horses. Those are some good horses. They actually looked okay, mm. and they moved mostly okay. I am disappointed that Oscar's white horse does not have a name, or at least not one that we have heard in the episodes we saw. I mean, good horses should never be characters, and they should always be killed on sight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't have a response. Um, musically, God, did we get like we find those things hilarious? Uh, nice harpsichord and st- uh, scare chords. Yep, yep. Just. <laughs> I like it, to be honest. It matches with how, like, this melodramatic show is. Mm. Suddenly, Tristan Cordo. No. <laughs> I don't really know what to say about the sound design. Uh, mm. It was functional. I didn't notice anything terrible, which makes me think that it did its job. Unless, like, in Ghost Town, where they're deliberately going for some non-diegetic so that you notice the sound editing, they then... decent-sounding uh, grass whistling. <laughs> oh, it sounded yes. terrible, so yes. But that is not a... Uh... Anyway. I, th- I think it, the the reuse of the sound effects was quite noticeable, not just in the like the sting which like stucks out, but like in the sword fighting, the sword being drawn. I, I like no need to go overboard with getting all these sound effects. We just reuse the same ones. But hey, like I, I mean, I'm not I'm not bitching. I think. <laughs> Before we wrap this up, I've got one final piece of trivia. Which, <sighs> what? Do you not like random trivia? That has nothing to do with the actual discussion. I, of trivia. I, I do. I just your intro pisses me off for some reason. <laughs> uh, 
we didn't mention, we didn't compare it to La Chevalier de, which I thought we might have done. Because we should probably watch that at some point. But that's what I was thinking. I was like, I haven't seen it. Uh, so it was, it was whether Frey had seen it. Yeah, and I have a note here on it, and we and we barely re- and we barely referred to Utena. I mean, just because Utena, I feel like I feel like we need to watch the first two episodes of Utena, and then then we could discuss how how Versailles influenced but, but this. Freya has de- has definitely seen it. That's what that's why that's I was expecting. That's why I was expecting more discussion of Utena. Anyway, do do your stupid trivia thing. <laughs> it had a crossover of Lupin the Third, Part <laughs> Two, which aired which aired before oh. the actual uh, Rose of Versailles anime. I think I knew this. How the fuck does that happen? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So having seen these three episodes, Denny, how many roses would you give it? I I would actually say I'd give it three out of five roses. I was fairly happy with what the show did. Like everything is that was said here is of course said with a consideration for its age and um I didn't think Oscar was a terrible character. She was just, as Freya pointed out, a fairly basic archetype that we're now so familiar with that she doesn't seem all that interesting anymore. But I pre- back then, I presume she would have had much more of an impact, which, as we can see by the fame of the both the anime and manga, she did. I mean, she's more complex than most of her um, uh, imitators. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed watching these first episodes. It's always nice going back to some of the older anime and seeing some of the techniques that aren't so commonly employed anymore these days, such as the dramatic eye twinkle or the um, freezing the freezing from the animation to the image. Looking back really makes you appreciate how far we've come sometimes. Cool. Ian, how many roses would you give it? I also kind of think three. Like, <laughs> it's fine. I don't really have anything really bad to say about it, but I also don't have a lot fanta- uh, like to stand out about it. Like, it's not a bad three. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I, I, I might be tempted to give it three and a half. It, it's a solid show, and I think that's all I can really say. How about you, Freya? Um, yeah, three to three and a half roses. It's yeah, as Ian said, it's solid. It's interesting to see something that spawned uh, or has had so much influence on later. Um, anime, even though I don't think we really saw the bit that is the most influential because we didn't watch the Dezaki episodes, which apparently take quite a different direction. Should have watched episode 19 as well and been very confused. Episode 19, 20, and 21. <laughs> yes. Or the episode with Napoleon Bonaparte. Wait, what? Yeah, Napoleon Bonaparte shows up in... I mean, of course he does. He, he shows up in real life and says, ah, the revolution, good. I am now the emperor. I mean, it makes sense uh, for him to show up. Yes. What are we going to be watching next week? Let's find out. Roll D21. This is my gimmick. 12. Okay. (laughs) We will be watching Kimono no Soja Eren, or English name, The Beast Player Eren which is a show from 2009.